0: Another demonstration of the kingdom might possibly be healing. Praying for those uh, that are sick. In uh, In the Gospels, as we look at the demonstration of the kingdom by Jesus and the ministry of Jesus, healing is overwhelmingly the most common expression of the kingdom of God. More than all of the things we mentioned. Caring for the poor, loving people, all those things are there. But far and away, healing is the most common demonstration of the kingdom in the Gospels. I've been rereading Power Healing the last couple of weeks as I've been thinking about these messages. I talked to you last week about John's book, Power Evangelism. I thought I'd mention Power Healing tonight. It's really quite good. Uh, it's very biblical, practical, uh, applicable. It's fantastic in terms of uh, what does it look like to be a healing people, a healing community. But one of the things, the reason I brought it up tonight is in the back, in the appendix, he does a little, kind of documents the healing ministry of Jesus. And he sort of categorizes all the different healings. And he found 41 different instances of healing in the Gospels. And that's not if there's, you know, if someone, if there's a blind man healed in Matthew, and that same story is Told in Luke, he doesn't count that twice. That's kind of once. So there's 41 different examples of healing in the Gospels, and uh, so all of that to say this uh, with, with, with those things in mind, I'm I'm committed to teaching the biblical premise of healing and to praying for those that are sick. Um, I, I want us to be a church. This you know what's what's the What's the vision of this church? I, I want this church to be a place that loves like Jesus loves, that lives like Jesus lives, lived, that does the things that that Jesus did, um, that, that we would care for those in need um, regardless of who they are, regardless of what circumstances might have led them to be in the situation they're in. You know, sometimes I think it's, we look at life, we look at people, and we think, well, you know, that person kind of deserves to be where they are. Maybe they made some bad decisions, or they took some wrong turns in life and ended up where they are today. And, you know, as I read through the New Testament, I, I see some of those same people. It never seemed to bother Jesus. He loved them and cared for them the same way he did other people, and that's what I want us to be about. And uh, because Jesus prayed for those that were sick, I want us to be a people that prays for the sick as well. I want us to be a people that's committed to healing, and and I want this to be a healing place. A place of healing, a place where people say, yeah, I I can go there and, and find healing. And healing in every aspect of life, physical healing as well as emotional and spiritual and relational healing, that reconciliation would happen, that those things would be earmarks of who we are. That's really my heart and my hope. And it's really what's behind um, the teaching the last couple weeks and tonight and and next week as well. So uh, tonight I want to tackle a difficult issue, if I could. And I I mentioned this two weeks ago. I talked about this being uh, a tough issue. I want to take a look tonight at, uh, what about the people that we pray for who don't get healed? And uh, I told you before, and I'll I'll just reference it again real quick now, the the reason that's tough, and it's the toughest one for me to teach on. And it's the toughest one, and I'm just being, you know, as honest as I can be at this point. The toughest one for me sometimes to hold on to and to believe in the reason of course is that sometimes and I'll even say frequently when we pray for people and here's the other thing in addition to that often the people that we pray for are people that we love the most right I mean, any one of us might have a situation on any given day or week in which we pray for somebody, and I hope we do. And from time to time, I do, especially at our King's Kindness, but I've shared with you other times in airports and other places where I get to pray for people. Um, But most of the time, I think those that we pray for that are sick are each other. And they're people we love, and it's really, really hard to see them go through pain and go through illness and be tired and be sick and be, uh, you know... Not the way that God hopes for them to be. And that's difficult to see. It's difficult to experience. I think you all can understand that. So that's why it's tough. That's why it's tough to um, to teach on this. And it's tough, I think, at least for me and maybe not for you. And, and I'm just, again, trying to to be as, as honest as, as I can be to even hold on to that sometimes. I want to preface what I want to say tonight with this, and that is that my message tonight is not in any way intended to be an excuse or an out, a cop-out of any kind. In fact, it's exactly the opposite of that. My hope is this, that what I share with you tonight will be an encouragement to you, that you'll be encouraged to press in, that you'll be encouraged to continue to pray. That you'll be encouraged to, to continue to seek God for healing and continue to press into him and seek his presence with everything that you have in you. That we will continue to commit ourselves uh, and maybe recommit ourselves tonight and maybe recommit ourselves every week to loving and caring for those that God brings our way whether they're healed or not, whether they're sick or well, regardless of who they are, that we would say our hope and our heart is to press in and to love these folks the way that Jesus loves them and to continue to pray for them until God makes them well. So pray with me if you would. Lord, we thank you. You're a good God. And our heart's desire is really to know you and to serve you and to be the people you've called us to be. So I ask that you would enlighten the eyes of our hearts once again tonight. Open your word to us that it would speak truth and life. In your name we pray. Amen. In a minute I want to take a, a look at a few passages of scripture that uh, deal with folks in the Bible who actually were not healed. And I think that those will be helpful to us in trying to sort of understand and, and, and look at how this all works. But, uh, but I want to start with something else. I want to start with um, uh, reasons that are not the answer, and, and that's sort of a double negative. But what, I'm, what I mean by that is, uh, I, I guess this could come under the category of things not to do, or these are not the reasons that people are not healed when we pray for them. And I bring this up because I, I realize that um, sometimes there are perspectives that are, we might have been influenced by, that might have uh, caused us to, to, th- to think or act in a certain way towards people. I think most of you uh, that have, you know, if you've been here at all any period of time, you, you know how much I love the whole church, how much I care uh, about uh, unity in the body of Christ, and, and how uh, blessed I am that not all churches are the same that they can be different, and there's different expressions of worship, and there's different ways to worship God. And, and I, 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 I love uh, experiencing those things, and I, and I understand that, that we don't all walk out our faith in exactly the same way, and, I, and I'm, I, I'm blessed by that, and, and I think that's part of God's plan and purpose in the world today. But at the same time, occasionally there are those things that I think are, are, are a little bit destructive, and so I just I want to mention these things uh, tonight as they relate to healing. And and the first thing I want to say is this, that healing is not confessing something as true that is not true. Healing is not confessing something as true that is not true. Now, I I happen to be a fairly big uh, fan of confession. I think it's very underrated in the church today. I think confession is a good thing. I like it. Um, I think it's important. But the Bible never calls upon us to confess something as true that isn't true. And some of us may have been influenced at different times in our life um, by an approach to healing that says something to the effect of that to pray for healing uh, means to confess that you have been healed. And that is outside the parameters of the Word of God. That's not how the Bible approaches healing at all. There's an interesting little story in the Gospel of Mark, Mark chapter 8. They came to Bethsaida, and some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. And when he had spit on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus asked, Do you see anything? He looked up and said, "I, I see people. They look like trees walking around. Once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes, and then his eyes were open. His sight was restored. He saw everything clearly. So I, I think a couple things. One, the, the man obviously had not been born blind. He had obviously lost his sight somewhere along the way. He knew what people looked like. He knew what trees looked like. He's able to make this connection. It's encouraging to me, to be quite honest, again, if I can, that Jesus had to pray twice. Uh, you know, and I, maybe that's a little bit off, but it just is. I think, well, if Jesus had to pray twice, if i got to pray more times than one, then, well, I'm in good company. Um, after he prayed the first time, you know, the man says, I can see it's sort of there, but not fully. People look like trees walking around. I don't quite get it. And he didn't say, nor was he encouraged to say, well, you're better. You're all better. You're healed. In fact, what Jesus did was when he saw that the man was improving, but not totally better, he went back and prayed again. And I think that's a good pattern for us to follow. Um, He doesn't instruct him to claim his healing or to confess his healing as being... uh, True, when in fact it wasn't true. He doesn't instruct the man to throw away his glasses or to stop taking his medication, you know, whatever the case may be. Um, and yet sometimes that is the approach that is taken. I, I heard a story, and um, I, I did not experience this personally, but I, it came from somebody who I respect and trust as being very credible about a young guy, college age guy, who had very bad vision and uh, got prayer for healing, received prayer for healing, and uh, afterwards said, I, I'm, I was, I'm healed. I'm healed. Uh, and so he quit wearing his glasses, and he, he claimed he was healed. But he wasn't healed. And so a couple of things happened. One thing that happened is he began to fall behind in his studies at work or at, at school and also get headaches because he couldn't read. He was in college, and it requires a lot of reading. And he's, you know, you're str- there's a tremendous strain on your eyes to try to read when you should be wearing glasses. That's why you get glasses. And so he's falling behind in school. Because he can't read the material that he's been given to read. But he keeps saying, I'm healed. I've been healed. And he believed and was taught that that was faith. That he had to have faith. And so that was the approach that he took. The other thing that happened is he also was driving a car. And if you've ever, uh, you know, got a driver's license, you know that part of the test for that driver's license, you know, you A, B, P, Q, D, or whatever, you read the thing. And your driver's license is contingent upon... Being able to see, that's a prerequisite to drive a car. And this young man was now not able to see, but was saying he could see was driving a car. He ultimately caused an accident and uh, by the grace of God no one was killed. People were injured and it was, you know, again I think a blessing that it wasn't any worse than it was, but all of those things happened because he was saying I've been healed when in fact he actually had not been healed. And so I would say to you this, that if if in fact God heals you, it will be evident. It will be apparent. You'll know. Whatever was there will not be there any longer. And it, it, it's, it, You know, if you're on medication, let me say this, uh, and this happens more often than it should, people will say, well, I'm healed. I don't need to take my medicine anymore. Uh, I would say this. Your doctor puts you on the medicine, and your doctor will take you off of the medicine. So if you're healed, you at some point in time had a test that the doctor determined you need this medicine. So if you go back to the doctor, they do the same test again. He says, oh, hey, look, you don't need this medicine anymore. You can stop taking it. Then you can stop taking it. Praise God, you've been healed. But I wouldn't do that as an expression of faith to say I've been healed, when in fact, maybe you haven't been healed. And I, and I want to say, that's not a lack of faith to do that. What that is, is wisdom. It's wisdom, and it's Honesty and its reality. And, and, and Jesus deals in wisdom, honesty, and reality. Okay? The kingdom of God is not the magic kingdom. It, it, it doesn't exist in the realm of Tinkerbell and fairy dust. It's a real-life kingdom with real-life power. And, and if we're healed, we'll know we're healed, and we, and we can and then uh, respond accordingly. But it's not um, you, you know, a lack of faith or an expression of faith to say we're healed when we're not. I'm going to talk in depth about faith next week. I would encourage you, if you can, to be here. I want to do my very best, and I'll tell you right now, it'll probably be inadequate, but I'm going to do my best to do an exposition on Hebrews 11.1 1, and talk about what faith really is and how faith really works in our lives. Um, but for tonight, simply say this, that faith isn't claiming something as so if it isn't really so. That's not very often, and, and I, I say this from experience of 30 years of being in a movement that prays regularly for those that are sick, very often when someone is not healed, um, one or two responses, one of two responses are very often given. One response is, well, you didn't have enough faith, so therefore it's your fault you weren't healed. Or two, it's not God's will that you're healed, so therefore it's God's fault that you're not And I want to say that those can be tremendously damaging assessments to give to someone else. And I know in my own history um, way more people than I wish I did who have been wounded by those assessments being given to them. I'll share just, just one of those with you. Brent Rue is a gentleman who was a vineyard pastor. He pastored the Vineyard Church in Lancaster, California, the founding pastor there. Brent was actually on staff with Ken Gullickson, who was the sort of first-ever vineyard guy before Wimber or any of that. He had a vineyard in Los Angeles, California. Brent was on staff with him, and he was there back in the Jesus movement with Keith Green and all that. And so he was sent out from there to plant Lancaster. Lancaster uh, grew and became, you know, very, very, fruitful church. Actually, um, Steve Shogren, who planted Cincinnati Vineyard, uh, came out of Lancaster. Um, Troy Robinson, pastor of Boise Vineyard, came out of Lancaster. Dick and Laura Wong, who were the original Portland Vineyard pastors, came out of the Lancaster Vineyard. Brent was a wonderful guy, big, tall Norwegian, big, tall. He's like 6'5 and weighed about 90 pounds, this big, skinny Norwegian guy, and he just had this huge smile on his face all the time and just loved people. And uh, during the course of his ministry, Brent uh, contracted cancer. He got cancer, and he struggled with that for several years. Handled it incredibly well. Tremendous faith, continued to pursue God and continued to minister and do all he could do. Uh, diminished energy levels and things like that, but it continued to work. Had, had many, many people pray. In fact, this was, you know, uh, in a period of time when, you know, in the Vineyard Movement, a lot of visibility was given to, you know, the Vineyard and what was happening. And I would say it was a who's who of Christianity today that prayed for Brent. Everybody that was anybody ever prayed you know, prayed for Brent, and yet he continued to get sicker and sicker. At one point, a prophetic person, a well-known prophetic person, uh, visited Brent and said to him, Thus saith the Lord, uh, this is not unto death. You will not die. You will surely live, and uh, on and on. And so uh, Brent and his wife and and those around them really took that word to heart and were greatly encouraged by that. They just believed with all their hearts that that was going to happen, and it didn't happen. Brent died. And in the aftermath of that, Brent's wife had the opportunity later to speak with that prophetic person again. And she said, "I," and she wasn't accusatory in any way, just questioned. She goes, I don't understand, I don't get it, I don't, you know, I, I thought that he would live, and he, and he didn't. And the response that was given back to her was, well, he must not have had enough faith or he wouldn't have died. And it took years to recover from that. And... I don't want to hear that. Let's not say that, okay? Let's not do that. Let, let, let's, let's not put that on someone. I said last week there are no formulas. And we can't always say this is that. And it's not our place to begin to determine who does and does not have enough faith. When we do that, I believe we've crossed a line That's not a good line to cross. We've entered into a realm of that's God's job, not mine. And I'm doing something that only God can do. And I don't think we should do that. The truth is this. At the end of the day, we don't know why some people are healed and some are not. We don't know that. And I am perfectly comfortable saying, I don't know. Did I make you guys mad? It's my kids. My kids are leaving. I'm perfectly comfortable saying I don't know, and I want to give you the freedom to say I don't know. That's not a lack of faith either. It's not a lack of understanding. What that is is the truth. We don't know. We don't know. It's clear to me a couple things. One, that... God's will is a variable. God's will is a variable. Um, It may be, it may be, not for sure, it may be that God has purpose in illness or in suffering or in hardship in our lives that is beyond our understanding, at least at this point. We may grow into that understanding. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul, you know, a very famous passage, talks about his thorn in the flesh. It's debatable and most scholars would agree that the thorn in the flesh was not a physical ailment in Paul's life. It was either spiritual or a person, a person's coming against him. But nonetheless, it brought about suffering in his life. And the point is simply this. If you read the passage, Paul says, that, now again, the, the apostle Paul says he pleaded with the Lord three times to take this from him. But the Lord said, no, I'm not going to take this from you because I have purpose for you in this that you don't know. And in fact, I can use you in your weakness in ways that you probably can't see. So God's will is a variable in what happens in response to our prayers for healing. Faith is also very, very clearly a variable. We know that faith is required for people to be healed. We understand that. Jesus. How many times did Jesus say that? Here's a few, and two different times in Matthew 9, once in Luke. There are probably um, at least three or four other passages in the, new, in the Gospels where Jesus says, your faith has healed you according to your faith. Be it done unto your faith. Your faith has made you well. So faith is also a variable. There are also other variables. There are other things that are factors in how this whole thing works. And again, it's not our job to determine who has enough faith for this and who doesn't. You know, I said before, it's a battle zone. Spiritual warfare is a reality, and maybe you have the whole spiritual realm all figured out and neatly categorized and put in a nice little package. I have not accomplished that as of yet. I don't understand fully the spiritual realm and all that takes place. It's, it's, it's more than I'm able to comprehend at this point in my life. But it should not surprise us that, one, sp- spiritual forces, i.e. demons, can interfere with healing. That shouldn't surprise us, nor should it necessarily surprise us that humans have the ability to interfere in the healing process because we all, both uh, demons and humans, are free agents. We're, we're, as you might say, we're unrestricted free agents. We can sign up with anybody we want, right? Let me give you an example. If I took this microphone stand and I bashed Josh over the head with it, he said, don't do that. But if I did, let's just say I did. That would hurt. And he might bleed. It would be blood. He might have brain damage from that. It might be a long-term disability. He might die from that. Now, if that happened, is that God's will? I'm going to go out on a limb and I'm going to say, that's not God's will for me to do that. Does that mean that Josh doesn't have faith because I bashed him in the head of the microphone stand and he had brain damage? Do you have faith? No, it doesn't mean that. What it means, what it means is I did a bad thing. I, I, I went outside the parameters of God's will and God's purpose for people. I did a bad thing and someone else suffered the consequences of that. And in the spiritual realm, those same things can happen, and in life, those things can happen. And there are variables in every situation, and every single person that we pray for, every situation is unique and is different. We live in a fallen world. We we live in a fallen world with both human and spiritual free agents who aren't always subject to God's will. And as much as the question why plagues us, as much as we want to know why isn't, this person healed. Why is one person healed and not another? Why don't everybody we pray for get healed? All those things. The, the answer still is, I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I do know this. I know God. And I know God's purpose and I know God's plan and I know God's will and I know God's reason for sending Jesus to us and I know it's it's His will that we press into Him and that we continue to seek Him with our whole hearts and that we continue to do the things that He's put before us to do and that we continue to pray, that we persist and that like the widow going before the unjust judge that we cry out for justice and we don't stop until we get it. That we just keep asking and keep asking and keep asking that we not blame god we not blame one another we press in and we pray and we do what god's called us to do and then we trust him to do what he is going to do let me take I take five more minutes is that okay all right thank you i didn't ask the sunday school teachers if i could take five more minutes but they're not in here uh Four, four quick examples. Really, and I, I will. I'll do, I'll do them quick. The first is a man named Epaphroditus. In, this is in the book of Philippians. Paul is writing. He says, "...but I think it is necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs." For he longs for all of you in his distress, because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died, but God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but also on me, to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. First question, what kind of person was Epaphroditus? He's a good guy. He's a brother, co-worker, fellow soldier. He's a servant. He cares deeply about other people. He's a friend of Paul, and he's sick for a period of time and almost died. Now, we don't know if he got healed or just got better, but it's pretty clear by the text that he wasn't healed right away. And uh, so he was sick for some period of time, and we don't know much beyond that, but he wasn't healed immediately. Second person is Timothy. Stop drinking only water and use a little wine because of your stomach, which is often quoted, but but the full sentence reads, and your frequent illnesses. Who was Timothy? Timothy was Paul's disciple. He had a a long-term, 15-year relationship with Paul, studied under him, with him. Timothy was a pastor. He was an evangelist. He was a missionary. Um, I don't know if you can say he was an apostle, but he certainly functioned in an apostolic role. He was a church planter. He was a a church leader, very well-respected person. Uh, and yet, throughout the course of his life, to the best of our knowledge, he had some sort of gastrointestinal problem that continued on, that was never healed. Next person is Trophimus. Rastus stayed in Corinth, and I left Trophimus sick and Miletus. Um, Trophimus was Paul's traveling companion on his third missionary journey, also someone who was greatly used of God and and who was very active in sort of that apostolic team that was uh, planting churches in the the first century. The context of this, and I think it's important to to note that uh, if you read the context of this verse, it comes right after a little part where Paul says a lot of people deserted him. People left him, and they were, they were not sticking with him. And it appears to me that Trophimus was not one of those, that he was faithful to Paul and wanted to be with him and wanted to go with him, and yet he was unable to because he was sick. And it seems to me as though, um, you know, Paul could have prayed for him and he would have been healed if everybody was healed, but that didn't happen. Fourth, fourth person on my list is Paul himself uh, in Galatians. This is not his thorn in the flesh. This is a different Time in his life, as you know, it's because of an illness that I first preached the gospel to you, and even though my illness was a trial to you, you did not treat me with contempt or scorn. instead, you welcomed me as if I were an angel of God, as if I were Christ Jesus himself. Um, few things on that verse. first of all, I love this: that the fact that Paul was sick didn 't stop him from continuing to do the things God gave him to do, and don 't let uh, you know shortcomings whatever in your own life stop you from doing the things that God's given you to do. Paul continued to press in and do what God had called him to do even though he was sick. Second thing I love about that verse is the way that the Galatians responded to Paul who was sick. They didn't treat him with scorn or contempt. They loved him and welcomed him and, and, and brought him in. But it also strikes me that Paul, too, had an illness that it appears as though he was not healed of, but that continued to to plague him for at least some period of time. And so the reason I bring these things up is simply this, and, and I'll try to wrap up really quickly. These are all people of faith. If you want to say Paul and Timothy didn't have enough faith to get healed, then you go right ahead and say that. But I'm not going to. I'm not going to make that assessment. They were people of faith, and they, they were in an environment in where healing was happening all around them, and yet it appears as though, uh, for whatever reason, they were not healed uh, immediately. And we know that healing was continuing to happen because in Acts 28, which is the very end of the book of Acts, so this would have been after all of these other things that we just looked at happened, it says, this is speaking of um, a man named... Cubius' father, who was, he was the governor or something of this, the island of Malta. And he says, His father was sick in bed, suffering from fever and dysentery. Paul went in to see him and, and after prayer placed his hands on him and healed him. And when this had happened, the rest of the sick on the island came and were cured. So Paul continued to pray for people that were healed. And yet at different times in his ministry, his friends and cohorts and faithful guys that traveled with him were not healed. That bugs me. That's perplexing to me. I I quite honestly don't get that, and yet I I find a little bit of comfort in it in that it it gives me some understanding of, of our situation at times when people among us aren't healed. It also appears, and this is another variable, that God at times is selective as to who he chooses to heal and who he doesn't. And again, I don't know that I like that. I certainly don't understand it. And yet it seems to be the case. There are at least two or three different occasions, maybe more than that, where uh, it will say something to the effect of Jesus you know, healed everybody. He healed all that were brought to him. He healed the whole group, a whole bunch of people all at once. And yet there's this weird situation in John 5 at the pool of Bethesda where he didn't heal everybody. There is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here a great great number of disabled people used to lie, great number of disabled people, blind, lame, paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there, learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, "I, I have no one to help me in the pool when the water is stirred, and while I'm trying to get in, someone goes in ahead of me. Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. And so in the midst of a great number of people, Jesus chose to heal only this one. So in the end, we don't know. We don't know why some people are healed and some are. But we pray. And I believe that we pray with the faith and the belief that we have at the moment. Uh, some days I have more faith than others. Anybody else relate? Some days I have more faith than others. But I believe that our job is to pray with the faith and the belief that we, ha- belief that we have at the moment. And I... I'll end with this. I like this. This is, I think, one of my personal favorite prayers in the Bible. Gentlemen in Mark, Jesus asked the boy's father, the boy is demonized, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered, it has often thrown him into the fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, Jesus said. Everything is possible for one who believes. And immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. That's my favorite prayer, because I identify. I believe, I really do, help my unbelief. And with that prayer, we continue to press in, and we continue to pray. You know, that time that Jesus had to pray twice for the guy's eyes? I don't understand that at all. That one confuses me more than all the others. But what it says to me is this, that when someone is sick, we'll pray for them. And if they don't get well, then we'll pray for them again. And if they don't get well, then we'll pray for them again. And if that doesn't work, then we'll pray for them again. And we continue to pray. And then we trust the Lord to do his part because we really can't heal anybody, can we? Only God can do that. All right, let's stand.